I know visitors, we appreciate so much you being in service with us. It's already been, we've, hopefully we're greeted by a smiling face in the foyer and some, maybe you fill out a visitor card and we appreciate so much. I, I'll tell you what, one day word's going to get out what God's doing right here in Heber Springs. One day word's going to trickle down the line and somebody's going to say, you know, God's doing a great work in the lives of men and women. And God can do things instantaneous or he can do things gradual. But whatever he so chooses and however he so chooses, we just want to give him glory. You know, almost every week I say this, I'm so excited to preach. <laughs> I do. And I really mean that. I mean, I, I genuinely mean that. Um, you know, last week I was very excited. I made a, a mistake. I made a preacher's mistake that I, I haven't made in a long time. Every preacher's made it on multiple occasions. That is, you try to do and share too much in one service. And I got halfway through the middle of the message last week, and I just knew that it, there was no way to finish it. And so I just had to, uh, to just kind of just squeeze it all into one. And, and I went home kind of dejected in doing so. But I went back and listened to the message, and I felt, you know, despite it, despite the way that I kind of quagmired it together, um, all in all, I'm going to let it go. I've got to leave it and move on because the Lord put another word in my heart. I shared with a couple of people that it's a message that I preached at this assembly many years ago. And I've tucked it away and haven't preached in years and years. I hadn't even seen the notes. But in conversation this week, counseling with someone, these, this thought leaped up again. And I know I've got you standing, so I have to be very careful. So let's read in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's 15 verses of Scripture we're going to read. If you get tired of fatigue and you have to be seated, then that's fine. But we're honoring the Word of God by standing for the reading of Scripture. Here it says in the first verse, now Naaman, it's the second Kings chapter number five. I need to give you time to find it if you're reading following in your Bible. Now Naaman is captain of the host of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. She waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. That's the prophet Elisha. For he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid, that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed, being Naaman, and took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, 
that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. I could stop right there, couldn't I? And that'd be a great place to celebrate. So Naaman came with his horses, with his chariot, and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. It takes an interesting turn. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near. And I'll tell you what, you've got to learn to hear God's voice and other people's voice. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then... When he saith to thee, Wash, and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Amen. Let's read this 15th verse to wrap and conclude the scripture reading. And he returned to the man of God. Now notice what he said. He and all his company and he came and he stood before him this time. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And I'm going to stop right there. I want to preach to you today in this thought, in the steps of Naaman. In the steps of Naaman. Let's see if we can just work this out together today and trust that God will speak to us. Father, we have humbled ourselves God, people have been so very articulate on this platform already in expressing our heart's desire to be in your presence, to be a worshiper, Father, to uh, be a praiser, one who opens their mouth, God, to be a servant, to serve in the kingdom, and now, God, to hear the word of God. I pray, Lord, prepare the heart of the people. That's my prayer right now. And God, if I in my private devotion... Father, I pray, Lord, that you have prepared my heart to give this word. But publicly, I ask, Father, for the anointing that breaks the yoke. Come on, somebody. The anointing that breaks the yoke. And as we say, Father, let preaching be easy in the house of God today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. And you can be seated. I have a realization that I want to touch on just real quickly, and I know this is almost Captain Obvious moment here from this dynamic realization that I'm going to make. The people's lives, and sometimes even our lives, and often when I say that, you need to distinguish between both the church and people that are in the world or people that don't know Christ, but our lives often are just far from perfect. We get all dressed up on Sunday, and we smile, and... We do everything, but you know what? There's uh, sometimes there's just some things going on. You know, life is not life is not easy at times, even for the child of God. Correct? I think that's fair to say among us all here today. 
Life can be daunting, challenging, unfair. I don't care who you vote into office, they can't create an equality of fairness in life. It's simply not possible. Life is often unfair and it's confusing. And I've often observed this too. As believers, we have a little bit of an inner conflict. I wrote it this way, an inner turmoil that often faces us because we have a hope that goes beyond the natural realm in which we live, don't we? We have the hope of eternal life. So even in our worst day, even in the, the deepest hole, our deepest, darkest hour, we have the promise of eternity that shines bright. And we know that, right? That's our trump card. Come on, somebody, amen? I mean, we can pull that thing out and say, you know what? Like Job, though he slay me, right? He said, in my flesh, worms may destroy this body, but I know my Redeemer liveth. And at the end, I'm going to see him. And so we have that hope in Christ. And we know that. But at the same time, we have another promise. It's called abundant life. So we have eternal life and we have abundant life. And oftentimes, we have to find ourselves working this out in our heart and mind and saying, God, I don't want to be so conscious of the world around me that I lose sight of eternity but I don't want to become so conscious of eternity that I'm not walking in the blessing and the abundant life that God promises in Christ Jesus. So that, that's what I mean. It's a little bit of an inner turmoil. It's a little bit of an inner struggle of working this thing out and finding what's right and how to live this out in our faith. The thing I want to encourage you in today in my own personal experience, I thank God for the Scriptures. I thank God for the revelation that comes to my life to help me as I endure challenges, as you endure challenges. I thank God the Word of God. You know, the, I felt like in last week's message, one of the key and climatic parts of that message is when we dialogued with um, the Mount Sinai, when Moses went into the presence of God, but God had come down, and the scriptures that Moses came down with the, uh, on the tablets of stone, right? Those, that same word was God-breathed. Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration. The word inspiration is God-breathed. And it is profitable for every area of our life. The Word of God is. And I, I, I wrote it this way. If only you and I could learn to let the Spirit of God quicken or make alive the Word of God. And God, there, through the Word, speaks to our lives. See, the Word, the Bible, that what we put on the screen or what you may have brought... In, 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 in what we call the, the Bible, I, I want you to know it is a living word from God. It's alive. The, the scripture says that the heavens will be folded up like a garment one day, but the word of God shall live forever. Jesus said, the flesh profiteth nothing, but the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and their life. Thank God for his word today. All scripture... And when you think about that, there's the context of Scripture, there's the history of Scripture, there's both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It's all alive. You know, I've said it before. I heard a preacher say this years ago. You can run the devil off with the begats if you have the anointing on your life just right because the Scripture is sharper than a two-edged sword. 
the anointing of God. God can take a word anywhere from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, and he can illuminate that word and quicken it in your heart, and all of a sudden, despair is confronted by hope. Right? Because there is, in this life, there are tribulations, and life is tough, and there are difficulties. But when the Spirit of God breathes upon the Word, it becomes living, and then God gives you hope, and then you can confront that despair by the truth of the Word of God. Come on, that's powerful. And I'm so thankful for it. You and I, that's why we pray over the Word, don't we? We pray for the breath of God upon the Word of God. This account, real quick, just is mentioned that we just read. It's actually mentioned in Scripture. It's mentioned by Jesus himself. Jesus said, in the days of Elisha the prophet, there were many lepers in Israel, but only one was healed, Naaman the Syrian. So it's a biblical narrative that we see that's very extravagant, but God's breath is upon it for today. The history of this text, let me develop it if I can. We read... Not, not the entirety of it. Naaman went on a little bit farther in his dialogue, both with Elisha and Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. But we're going to focus just exclusively on those 15 verses that we read as the text. But let me give you just a little bit of the history, because don't be afraid to study the history of the Scriptures. Don't be afraid to have your Bible here and a, and a commentary beside you so that you can learn, because it's broadening. That then will allow you to go deeper once you understand a little bit broader application. The king of Israel, note, is unnamed in this text. The one who rent his clothes when he received a letter from the king of Syria. Both kings are unnamed. And therefore, scholars cannot accurately conclude which particular king of Israel during the days of the divided kingdom, both Judah and Israel. This is certainly of the kingdom of Israel, the northern tribes. It is presumed that this is Jehoram, who is the son of King Ahab and the wicked queen Jezebel. If you follow the narrative of Jehoram, then the scripture tells us that he did not worship Baal that had been introduced, Baal worship that had been reintroduced through Jezebel, but he did follow the sins of Jeroboam who worshipped the golden calf. So there is idolatry. He's an idolatrous king. He's the one that potentially has torn his clothes when he received the letter from king. Who's the other king? The king is King Ben-Hadad, most likely the king of Syria. The scripture tells us that Naaman is captain of the army of Syria. And he's noted, did you note this? He is noted as a mighty man of valor. Usually that term is associated only with God's chosen warriors that you read about in the old, like men like Gideon, that the Bible says the angel found him threshing wheat in a wine vat, and the Lord called him a mighty man of valor. This man, uh, Naaman, is a mighty man of valor. The scripture says by him, and but despite, he's a leper, we note, we'll note more about that in a moment, but he's a great man, the Bible says. He's the captain of the host. And did you catch this? You may have read this quickly. It's in the first verse. It says, by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. Now that's, that's odd because often when you read by someone a victory, it's usually by him God's given victory to Israel. But in this passage it says, by him God has used him to deliver Syria. Did you know that rabbinical scholars believe 
that the text and that situation that God used to deliver Syria is a battle that's captured in the pages of Scripture. It's a battle between Israel and Syria, but Ahab is leading the armies of Israel. And God has promised to end the lineage of Ahab. God has promised that the bloods or the dogs would lick the blood of Ahab like they had licked the blood of Naboth, who he had taken his vineyard. I don't want to preach all of that today, obviously, but when Ahab perished in battle, the Bible says, now catch this, because the Jewish rabbis believe that this is where Naaman is introduced into the lineage of the story as noted as a mighty man of valor by whom a great uh, uh, victory is determined. The Bible says earlier in 1 Kings that Ahab perished when a certain man randomly took his bow and just launched an arrow randomly towards the fleeing armies of Israel. And God directed, and I know this is brutal, God directed that arrow and it landed between the plates of the armor that King Ahab was wearing. And Ahab perished in battle. And the rabbis believe that God was using Naaman to deliver Syria from Israel, but he was also using Naaman to deliver Israel from Ahab. Oh, the wonders of the hand of God, of things that you can't always see. Let me tell you, when us preachers say God's working on your behalf, he's working. We sing a song up here, he's working. He's always working. God's always working. And so I'm so grateful today to understand that he was a great man. He was a man of valor, but he is a leper. Now, in Israel, leprosy is something that produced being ostracized from the community. Now, when we know of full-blown leprosy, we're talking about facial features that might literally fall from someone's face, fingers that might fall off of their hand, toes off of their feet. All of us have probably at some point in time seen the image of a leper colony. Leprosy is almost totally wiped out. In the modern world, but some third world countries, there's just a lingering colony. And it just rends your heart to see it. But leprosy in the Bible was not just full-blown leprosy, but it was, it was scab diseases. It was certain diseases. Only the priests were, were the ones that could determine what was actually leprosy versus just a, a fleshly wound or a fleshly skin disease. In Israel, if you were identified as a leper, you know this, they, you had to live outside the camp separated from the camp. It moved you outside of the commonwealth of Israel. Certainly that was not being practiced by Syria or he would not have been able to continue in his leading role. Rabbinical scholars believe that the leprosy came upon Naaman because he brought the young maid back from the land of Israel as some type of curse of God. That's something that they argue in their theological uh, arguments. But the thing is here that you and I have to see is that the scriptures that are God-breathed, we have the natural example, but we also have a spiritual principle. And leprosy many times in the Word of God represents sin. See, there are good folks who are still sinners. There are folks that do good things, like Naaman, but they're still sinners. The last I read, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And sin keeps you out of the commonwealth of the people of God. So let's not, let's not forget that as we progress further in this story. 
Naaman may have done some good things, but he was still a sinner who needed cleansing. He was a pagan worshiper who worshiped idols. But obviously God was calling him. I thank God. You hear us as pastors of this assembly say, you didn't find God, he found you. I thank God that God was searching all the way over into the land of Syria for Naaman to bring him into his covenant promises. God was leading him to confession of Yahweh as his God. But he had to learn something. That if you're going to come to God for salvation and deliverance, you've got to do it his way. Maybe this is the original text of scripture that I could say it's not Burger King. You can't have it your way. Naaman had to learn that if he was going to come to God, he had to come God's way. And do it God's way. And some of you are still learning that very same thing in this room this morning. Naaman with his leprosy comes to the door of the house of Elisha after uh, the king of Israel who rent his clothes said, Who am I, God, that I could heal this man? When Elisha hears about it and says, Let him come to my house. He said that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. And when he comes to the door of his house, we read this in the narrative, Elisha would not even go to see him but sent a messenger. Now, let me tell you what I believe that that represents us here today. Jesus Christ could not be here in the flesh this morning. He chose not to step out of glory and walk the the aisles of First Assembly of God. But he sent me to this house today as his messenger. That God's got a good word for you. He's got direction for your life. you got to listen to what he's saying. The word of God through Elisha said, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again, and thou shalt be clean. Now you would think upon hearing that, that that would light up on the inside of you. How easy is that? But rather, verse number 11 tells us that when Naaman heard that, he had had a preconceived idea of what the prophet was going to do. First, that he imagined the prophet not staying in his inner chamber and sending a messenger. You know how aggravating that was, a great man like Naaman's standing outside the door of this little house in Israel. He's won a great army, or leads a great army. He's won great victories, and now he's outside of this little cobblestone house with a wooden door knocking on it, almost like a beggar, hoping that the prophet will stand in front of him and magically wave something, reach down, put dust on him, breathe on him, do something, pour oil on him. And instead, he won't even come to the door But he sends the associate pastor to the door, sends him out and says, just go on down to the Jordan River, take you a bath, dip seven times, and your flesh will be like a little child. But Naaman had such a preconceived mindset that he, instead of leaving the house with joy, he leaves with anger. He's frustrated. What a challenge it is when we have a preconceived mindset of what God's going to do in our lives. We have to be careful. He begins to make contrast. He begins to say, the rivers of Jordan, the river of Jordan, it's muddy. We were baptized in where it's clear. We were close to the Sea of Galilee. But if, as it leaves the Sea of Galilee and begins to filter its way through the Judean desert, I'm telling you, it becomes dark and muddy, muddier than this carpet is. And so in his mind, Naaman is contrasting. He's remembering the clear waters of the two rivers that are running through Damascus. And he said, if I was going to wash and be clean, I could have just stayed. I didn't have to make this journey. Why did I have to go all the way to the prophet's house? I could have washed. And he's angry and he's walking away frustrated. People come to God and walk away frustrated all the time. 
because they want it their way. Man, I feel the Lord right there. People come to the house of God crying out, trying and believing and, and, and searching for something, but they walk away frustrated because it didn't come to them the way they thought it should. And I love the little exhortation that says, but one of the servants, and I want to challenge you with that today, but one of the servants said, and you know, he had, they had to approach their master with great fear and reverence in that moment. And one of the servants, I'm sure, said, Sir, can I talk to you for just a moment? Please, please, I know you're frustrated. But if the prophet had told you, climb that mountain and put a flag on the top of the mountain and you'll be healed, you would have done it. The prophet had given you a great task to do, and as an end result of this task or this challenge, if you accomplish this challenge, then you would be healed. He said, how much easier, how much better is it to just wash and be clean? And Naaman thought on that. And all of his anger and his frustration, and Naaman made a conscious decision. I'm going to go down to the River Jordan. And that's where I want to pick it up at today. Are y'all with me right there? Because with each dip, I was pondering this many years ago when I believe God showed me some things that I'm going to share with you today. Because we read the narrative so fast. Naaman dipped seven times. And we don't stop to think about what might have been in the heart of Naaman. That every time. There are, how many of you know many times the battleground is right here? The battleground's in our mind. That's where fears and anxieties and uncertainties begin to amass. And so as I begin to pray about this, I believe God put some things in my heart that I want to share with you. Challenges that Naaman had to face to continue to dip seven times in order to see the cleansing come to the leprosy that was upon his skin. So after succumbing to the advice of his servants, of his servants, Naaman walks into the swirling waters of the Jordan River and he dips the first time. Now you have to, how many of you know sometimes the waters around you can be fast moving, but on the inside of you, you're thinking about all kinds of, you've got all this motion around you, but inside, your thoughts are racing and you're running and you're pondering the old adage, you know, your life can flash in front of, have you ever had that where it was a climatic moment in your life and it's almost like you saw yourself from the beginning uh, to where you are right now, it just seemed like it passed. And so you know all that's going on just that quickly in the mind of Naaman. And so as Naaman rises up out of the water the very first time, I believe that the first challenge he would face would be a false expectation. Here's what the false expectation was this, that since he, I'm sure he looked down after one dip, just like you would as well. I'm sure the first time he came up out of the waters and he cleared his eyes, he looked down to see if the leprosy was gone. Here's the first challenge that many of us face, and even some of you here today, is that when, the false expectation is that if you begin the program, you'll be healed after the initial action. Here, I started this message to say people have a lot of confusion in their lives today. There's, the families are broken. There's climatic events that take place. There's a false expectation to believe that your problems can be solved without following the biblical instruction. I said it way better than you're shouting, but I'm going to say it again. And that is a false expectation to believe that your problems can be solved without following the biblical instruction. 
I know you can be saved, and I know you can be healed instantly by the power of God. But even when you are, there's still much to overcome. There's still, when you get entangled in the affairs of this life, it takes a while to begin to learn new principles. I tell people all the time, you've got to unlearn what you have learned. You've got to begin to live a different life and lifestyle. In, I, I, I pondered this. I said, have you ever done this with medicine the doctor gives you? doctor assigns you 10 days of antibiotics. You take it, and about three days later, you are feeling good. And most of the time, we stop taking all the way to the end. But the prescription is to take two tablets a day for 10 days. But we get to we're feeling good, and we get a little bit of solace. Jace just started a membership class. When I wrote this, I was teaching a new converts class years ago, and I wrote it this way. New converts classes are always full at the beginning, but they usually dwindle down, and we graduate one and two. The reality is, church family, it's a fight every day. It's a struggle to survive. God's the author of a process and a plan, and the fullness of his blessing is reserved for those who will faithfully follow that plan. Wow, I'm preaching way better than you're shouting, but I'm going to read it one more time. God's the author of process and plan. And the fullness of God's blessing, I believe in the fullness of his blessing, it's reserved for those who will faithfully follow that plan. Naaman had to overcome the human tendency to presume that the initiation of the process would bring completion. Did you hear that? Let me say it one more time. Naaman, when he went down the first time, he had to overcome the human tendency to presume that he initiated the process. I started going to church. I showed up. I, I signed up, and that's good enough. No, it's not good enough. you got to go all the way with God. So Naaman has the courage, and he goes under the water the second time. And when he comes up the second time, I believe that this is what he faced. This was the obstacle he had to overcome. This is ridiculous I want you to think on that for just a moment I could just see Naaman in the water he's shaking it off he starts looking around to see who's watching him because he's there in the water you know and, and with an expectation that if he'll dip seven times he's going to be healed and Naaman had already shown that this thought of dipping in the Jordan didn't make sense to him it actually angered him and now after two dips I can see him begin to think man this is ludicrous. What am I doing out here? I am a captain. I am the leader of the Syrian, and I'm standing out here butt naked in this Jordan River, dipping down, trying to be clean, and everybody's watching me take a bath, and this is at what in the world am I doing? I'm telling you, that's the same thought that will be in the minds of some of you that are going through a process of life change. You'll start saying, this doesn't make any sense. Every Sunday, they tell me to give, to come and put money in. I ain't got no money, preacher. And yet you tell me to start giving, and I'll see the blessing of God. That doesn't make sense to the natural mind. And then I start living life in the church, and you start telling me I need to love the people that have hurt me. I need to forgive those who hurt me and despitefully use me. That doesn't make any sense to me, Pastor Brown. You, then at the same time, I get up here beside some of you, and this person over here beside me starts speaking in a language I've never heard. And then she speaks in the language I can understand, and she reveals the secrets of my heart. I don't understand what's all this. This thing is ridiculous. Let me tell you, church family, you need to learn this principle right now. God will take the foolish things of this world. 
to confound the haughty and the mighty. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And you need to know that. The things of God are often contrary to your natural thinking. There will be many things in the kingdom of God that don't make sense. And you can't rationalize yourself to victory. All you can do is obey the prophet, which this prophet is Jesus in this situation. Elisha represents Jesus. All you can do is hear and obey the word of God. And if you do that, you leave the rest to God and you trust the Lord. I thought about it and I wrote it this way. Did you know that our salvation is as a man who never wrote a book, never held a political office, never attended high school, ate with sinners, often was homeless, and died at the age of 33 years of age? But we believe today that he sits at the right hand of an invisible God and we sit with bated breath waiting for the clouds to part and Jesus Christ, the King of all glory, to suddenly appear. That's foolishness to some, but it's our hope and our belief. And so God will ask you to do some things in your journey with him that may seem to be ludicrous. They may seem to be ridiculous, but if God's in it, you better just do it. And you better obey what God is saying to you. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it's ridiculous, Naaman. But with God, all things are possible. God, all things are possible. Number three, as he goes under the water the third time. So you've got to picture this. Now he's overcome the obstacle that this is ridiculous. And he goes under the water the third time. And he comes up. And this time, church family, by now the muddy waters with their sand and salt, have caused the open leprosy sores to burn. When he first went in, it was cool for just a moment, but as that salt and that sand began to penetrate to those open leprosy sores, then it began to burn and it began to hurt. And so number three, what Naaman was learning is something that you need to learn today, that obedience to God can be painful. That it's difficult at times. It's difficult. We have to learn that the road to surrender and submission before God is often painful. The Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword, and it does cut and it pierces. It's much easier to try and to leave the dark areas of our lives hidden and covered. And, but, to, but it's much more painful to expose those areas to the chastening light of God's correction. I want you to know today you want a path to victory in your life. Be honest with God. Don't try to be a hypocrite in his presence. Don't try to pretend that God doesn't already know what you're already thinking about. I can help you here today through my own testimony. My own testimony is this. I'm honest with God in my prayer time. If I'm struggling with something, I confess it. If there's lust in my heart, I confess it. If I'm aggravated and angered at some situation, I confess. Because the Bible says all things are open. If I need correction, I expose myself to the correcting rod of God. Because the Bible says he corrects those that he loves. And if you're unwilling to be corrected by God then number one, you're not even his in the first place. And if you're trying to run from that correction, then there's always going to be an area of your life that can never be healed. If you're going to be healed, you're going to have to expose that area to the correction of God. It hurts to have areas of our lives corrected. A bone that was broken and wasn't set properly has to be rebroken. My dad told me about when he was a boy, he broke his arm on the playground and it started to heal before he got a chance to have it uh, looked at and it had to be rebroken. It's hard to be rebroken, right? But you've got to be 
in order for God to produce genuine healing. There's the story of the, of the potter in the book of Jeremiah. Anybody remembers that just real quickly? And it's worth reaching over and pulling that into the context of this message because the prophet Jeremiah saw the potter and the potter was shaping something in his hands. It was on the spinning wheel. And Jeremiah saw it and said it was marred in the hands of the potter. But then the Bible says that God said that I will but shape it and make it into another vessel. And let me tell you, that's why the things around you, that's what you feel. And you say, what is this working? It's painful. It's hurt. It's the hand of God. God's molding and shaping and he's forming things in your life. And he's cutting away some things that you don't need to be, that don't need to be in your life. And it's painful and you're going to get aggravated and you're going to get frustrated and you'll come up out of the water after the third time and it's going to burn and you're still not going to be healed. But the one thing I come along to tell you today, don't. Don't quit stay right where God's got you because God's healing hand is still at work in your life. So Naaman has the courage to go under for the fourth time. And when he comes up on the fourth time, this is something that every one of us have wrestled with. It's called frustration. Have you ever thought about this in the journey? When he's dipped the fourth time, he's beyond the halfway point. But in his mind... He's still got a long way to go. At this point, the obstacle becomes frustration. He's gone halfway. What seems to be, now to you and I, we see dipping seven times is quick and easy. But for Naaman, every, every time was a great task in his heart and mind to overcome. And when he comes up out of that water on the third time and now it's the fourth, frustration can quickly begin to set in. He's been disappointed through his false expectancy. He's been embarrassed through the sheer ludicrous notion that dipping in a river will heal his wounds. And he's been pained by the water substance. And now his great obstacle is to overcome frustration. I've seen it so many times in the kingdom of God. I see people give up on God because they started this journey and everything's not quite. They started walking this journey. They're walking by faith. They're trying to be discipled. They're going to class for a while. But when everything doesn't begin to work out exactly the way they want, then all of a sudden, the pull of the world begins to pull them right back. And they become frustrated. Did you know the Bible tells us of a time in the, in the lives of Israel when the enemy hired counselors to frustrate their purpose? And that says to you and I here today is that your adversary that's already been mentioned in this room this morning, your adversary, the devil, will set up situations that if he can't stop you, he can frustrate you. Because if he can frustrate you, he doesn't have to force you to stop because you'll just, in aspiration and frustration, or frustration, you'll just walk away. You'll just give up. You'll just say, you know what, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. The enemy comes in and he tries to frustrate your purpose. He tries to blind your eyes to progress to an expected end. He tries you to not let you see the end from the beginning, but only see where you're at right now. The enemy begins to whisper in your ear. The talk of quitting begins to arrive in your heart. Fear of failure begins to vibrate your mind. The enemy says, give up, Naaman. Go back home to Damascus. Your life will never be whole. You'll never be healed. Why wound yourself anymore? Four dips are enough. You've tried the church. You've tried Christianity. You've done everything. You're embarrassed. You're hurting. You're disappointed, and you're still broken. You're only halfway there. Throw in the towel. That's what the enemy says, but I came along to tell you this morning that God said, hold on, Naaman. Hold on. Don't give up. Follow through. Follow in the steps of Naaman today. Help is on the way if you won't give up. 
Glory to God. I believe in my heart of hearts today that we're to run our race with patience. The thing that nobody wants, we are the quick fix generation. We want it now. I'm telling you, we get mad when we are in the fast food lane. We get angry when the red light takes two minutes to change to green. We get aggravated when people won't hear us right now. But I'm telling you, God's not moved by your frustration. God will hold you right where you're at because God's working in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. He can see the end from the beginning, and you've got to just trust the process. The God that began a work in you is the God that's faithful to finish the work. But you've got to stay on course. You've got to keep coming to church when you don't want to. You got to keep coming to the discipleship class when you don't want to. When you're aggravated, you got to still pray. When you're frustrated, you still got to praise. You still got to say, God, I'm trusting you. Bring me through this moment in my life right now. You got to overcome frustration. Good men, godly men and women have failed because of frustration, because they gave up, because they didn't run the course all the way to the end. And so Naaman had to overcome. Your marriage can work. You can overcome addictions. I'll shout on that one. I hate what the enemy's doing to people of our generation, men and women. There are men and women under the sound of my voice every week that I preach that are in the struggle with addictions. Don't think for a moment that just because people are coming in here and they were, well, I know they used to know. Listen, people are still struggling with them. And I want you to know today, don't you believe the lie of the enemy that says you'll always be an addict? I believe that God has set you free. You've got to trust him. Believe God for it. Come on, somebody. See yourself free. See yourself delivered. Know that there will come a day in your life you'll never be bothered by it again. Crystal meth will be bruised under your feet. Come on, somebody. Cocaine will be bruised under your feet, that alcohol addiction that is, uh, has, has so clamped onto you and your family, it's going to be broken by the power of the Spirit of God. You're going to create a new heritage of faith, a, a new lineage of faith. Uh, your children are not going to be addicted. Come on, you're, the curse of the adversary is going to be broken because you went all the way with God. You didn't give up in frustration, but you trusted God. Hold on, Naaman. Keep going. Don't give up the end is inside. Victory is waiting on you. Number five today, Naaman goes under the water the fifth time, and he comes up, and he's still not clean. A new thought ravages his mind. Naaman, why you? Why you, Naaman? Why, 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 did, why are you suffering so much? Naaman, you've always been the victim. You did some good things, but then he could say in his mind, God, why me? Why did it happen to me? Why have I been afflicted? Why have I had to endure so much grief? Man, I'm preaching real in here today. I'm exposing what many of you already think. I know that it's ringing, but I ain't finished, so I'm going to keep on going. That's not good English, but that's the truth here today. Why did my mother and father have to get divorced? Why did all the kids pick on me at school? Why do people shun me? The list goes on and on. Number five, the great obstacle. There's only seven. Self-pity defined as a self-indulgent dwelling on one's own sorrows or misfortunes. Let me tell you, Naaman ain't the first to deal with it. 
and neither are you. It was said a while ago, there are all things common under the sun. Man, we all have challenges. Self-pity is one of the easiest snares of the wicked that the wicked one uses to trap us for us to fall in. It's only natural to want to prosper personally, and when that hasn't happened, rather than search or trust God for a brighter day, we feel sorry for ourselves. You know why it's quiet here? Because you're under conviction. Because we've all been there. We've all sat on that lonesome bench by ourselves and just wondered why us, and we pitied ourselves. I've observed that self-pity can be a prelude to depression. Self-pity doesn't allow you to see any good that's happened to you. But let me tell you today what God wants you to see. You've got to see the small things. You've got to celebrate the small. You've got hope. Before Naaman came to Jordan, he didn't have any hope. There was no prophet in Syria promising healing. But now here he is coming up out of the water the fifth time, and he's got hope that there's a victory in his sight. And you got hope in this room today. You got hope in your heart. You got a lot of reasons to give God thanks. You may be in a challenging situation, and if your testimony could be unfolded in front of us today, we might just shake our heads in disbelief that situations can be that bad. But let me tell you, with God, all things are possible. Let me tell you, with God, God can do. There's nothing impossible to God. And the Scripture teaches us that we have to learn to praise God. One of the greatest things can break the cycle of self-pity in your life is to start saying, God, I'm going to give you thanks. I'm going to celebrate the little things in life. I'm going to celebrate just a little image. I remember years ago that I read a testimony of a man that survived seven years in the Hanoi Hilton, which is where they held them in Vietnam, the prisoner of wars, seven years, and he didn't get to see the light of the sun. But what was happening was that there was just a little bit of a trickle of sunlight that came in above his ability to see out. And it hit the hole in this little room, a five-by-five cell that he was allowed to potty in. And separating the pipe, there was just a little bit of airspace. And just enough light got in that a little single blade of grass began to grow. And for seven years, he looked at that single blade of grass and believed that a brighter day was coming. I want you to know today, you may not have a lot going on in your life, but there's a single blade somewhere. If you can get your eyes on it, it'll lift you out of self-pity, and you can come up and get ready to go under the sixth time. Man, this is a good word today. I hope y'all don't, we get it on, on tape, or on, on, on uh, so we can pass this out. People need to hear this. You can tell I still get caught in the 80s every now and then. I start saying tapes, cassettes, stuff like that. I may rock in here with a, uh, what's it, no, I won't, never mind, let's just move on. <laughs> That would be funny right there. (laughs) Lastly today, perhaps the greatest struggle. Naaman goes down the sixth time, and he comes up. Here's the greatest struggle. Be very careful. Almost is good enough. This, This message came to me from a song that you can find online. I looked it up last night again. That our worship leader at Shirley used to sing, Robin. Y'all remember Robin, Jerry, and Pam? She used to sing. And it, it was about Naaman. And the inspiration came to me when I heard this line. And she sang about that when he came up the sixth time. 
And the word was this, when God said seven, six won't do. So you need to know that right now. Almost is not good enough, right? It's not good enough in God's eyes. So you have to be careful. You'll gain satisfaction with the progress, and you'll have a relaxation of your expectation that you're going to obtain your complete objective. And you've got to be very, very careful. I wrote it this way in my mind. Yes, we're happy with progress, but that progress can become a stumbling block when I accept it as complete. God's the, not only is he the beginner, he's the finisher, right? He finishes what he began. If he began a good work in you, then you let him complete that work in your life. Many of you find this trap right in front of you. Addictions. We shouldn't say, well, I've cut way back and I'm using a lesser brand. I go to church some of the time. I give part of my tithe. I pray only when I need to. I've given up some of my pornography. I only curse when I'm angry. And I've forgiven everybody except those who have really hurt me. That's not what God's called you to be and to do. If you were an adulterer before coming to Christ, you can't decide to just cut back on your relationships. It doesn't work that way with God. Almost is not good enough. Folks have to make their mind up. Are you going all the way with God? Are you going all the way? Jesus spoke to the woman caught in adultery. Our generation only wants the first part where he did not condemn her. But he also said to her, go and sin no more. Naaman's sixth dip was completing the process of human effort without losing divine expectation. I'm not turning back. The sixth dip is the most dangerous because it's the number of a man. It's the number of human accomplishment without divine completion. And be careful, some of you are there right now. You've seen some good things. God's brought your family out of some things. But let me tell you, God wants to bring you out of all things and bring you into that season of life where he has worked a miracle. And then the seventh dip. The seventh dip. Naaman goes down. The seventh time. And here's what he realizes. He's tried all else. Only complete abandonment and perfect faith in God's perfect plan will produce the needed miracle. Complete surrender is an abandonment of misconceptions and selfish will. And it's a yielding of your whole person to the divine plan of God. God doesn't just want part of you. He wants all of you. Someone said, Jesus, what's the greatest of commandments? Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your body. And then treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated. And that is the greatest of all commandments. Perfect faith says, God, I'm going to trust you. You cannot lie. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to submit to your will. I'm going to believe that what you promised God you will perform. I'm going to believe God. And Naaman dips the seventh time and his health is restored as that of a newborn baby. And let me tell you, your life can be transformed by the supernatural power of a living God who has not changed. God's still working miracles today. 
He's still changing the lives of men and women and washing away the filth of leprosy and brokenness and hurt and sorrow and sin. And he's making people whole that will stay the course and follow suit and do what God says. Would y'all stand up with me today? Aaron's join me on the platform just real quickly today in closing this message today. Isn't God good? I titled this message, In the Steps of Naaman. In the Steps of Naaman. What a journey that was. What a journey that would take him from the battlefield all the way to the banks of the muddy waters of the Jordan River with a prophetic word spoken in his ear that gave him hope that if he, if he obeyed the prophetic word, that God would produce a change in his life. You know, a lot, I know that that's a distant reality, and it's a different setting than what we have here today, but there's a lot of similarities. Many of us, most of us find ourselves in a leprous condition. Even good folks, I said it earlier, there are good people that are still sinners, Right? That need forgiveness of sin and cleansing. And I'm telling you, as, as pastors and we have our, 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 our lives interacting in the lives of men and women, there is so much confusion and brokenness in the lives of men and women today. And you don't have to be ashamed. But what you need to do is you need to know that there is a promise of God's victory. There is a promise. I just, I'm not going to live in the lie of the enemy that says the way I am today is the way I have to be all the days of my life. And I don't want you to live that way. I want you to live with hope, with faith, and belief that if you obey God, God will bring you through. He'll produce such a change in your heart and your life. Your life can be almost unrecognizable. We don't know. Was Naaman, was his body physically disfigured? When he came up out of that water, he might have been almost unrecognizable as he was supernaturally healed by the power of God. I'm believing that there's such life transformation in your life today that there will come a time in the future when people look back at you and say, who are you? I don't even know. You are so transformed by the power of God. I believe in that God today, don't you? I do. I believe in him today. And I want to give an altar invitation for a group prayer here at this, at this altar. Because you know what, I was honest when I wrote this, and I studied it and read it and regathered it. I didn't just reach into my drawer, my preacher's drawer, and pull it out. I fed on it, and I nourished it in my heart, and I wanted it to become a part of who I am. And I thought at the same time, I said, you know, all across the congregation on a Sunday morning, people can be at any of those places. You might be coming to the water for the first time, about to step over into faith for the first time. Or you might be somewhere along the fourth or the fifth way, struggling with frustration, struggling with uh, the ridiculous notion of what you're learning in church. Whatever the case might be, the key is you've got to just keep on obeying God. Does that make sense today? So I want to ask today, if you would, if everybody here today would just be 100% transparent with me and say, Pastor, I'm somewhere on that journey today, and I just want to obey God. You know, there's something symbolic, and that's another thing. It's ludicrous to some of you. 
you say, Pastor, I, you know, why do I have to go to the front? You're almost like a child. I've seen my children, days gone by, go back in when I told them to do something like that. That's the way it is sometimes for us trying to encourage you. That's the way Naaman stood at the Jordan River. Why do I have to do this? But I tell you what, he went back out like this. Because that's what the power of God can do in your life. When you learn to just yield to him. And that's why we do this on Sundays. That's why we say come to the front. Because we believe it's setting a precedence for your life that you're obeying God. It's giving you a moment to dip. This may be your 50th dip. Your 500th dip. You just keep believing God. Keep trusting the Lord. Stay on course. Follow the Lord. If you're here today and say, Pastor, it's a step of faith, but I'm going to journey to the front just symbolically like Naaman, and I'm going to come to the waters of the Jordan River, and I'm going to just stand and know that I'm going to fulfill this journey that God's began in me. I want you to step out in faith and come. Don't be ashamed in any capacity. Say, in my own life right now are just some things. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're being challenged in areas, and you're just saying, I just need God's grace and His help, and I need His strength, and I need His peace to continue. i got to run the race with patience, don't we, church family? We have to run the race with patience. We can't give up. We can't give up. We have to keep on believing and enduring and trusting the Lord and walking in His way and knowing God is good and He's faithful and He's kind. Isn't He, church family? He's so good. I want to ask our church family to just kind of come up alongside of the men and women that came to the front today and just put a hand of support on their shoulder and just let them know that you're standing there with them and we're going to pray. We're going to pray together. We're unashamed to pray. Naaman was, he was ashamed, but he did it anyhow. Well, we're not ashamed and we're going to do it. We're going to pray and we're going to just trust the Lord. We're going to believe God. Father, today, thank you for a church family. Thank you for men and women, God, that were honest enough to say, I need God's help. You know, I'm not there yet. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't gained full victory. I haven't gained complete victory, God. But the preachers told me today, don't give up. Continue to believe and know the Lord and trust in God and in His faithfulness. And by coming to the front today, I'm just dipping in the Jordan one more time. I'm just dipping under the waters one more time, and I'm saying, God, I'm obeying your voice. I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and I know, God, everything's not worked out exactly the way I'd like for it to just yet, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. Ben, you're going to be faithful, and God's going to bring you to a great victory in Jesus' name, the glory of God, the Spirit of God. We're just going to keep We're going to keep dipping, God. We're going to do the thing you've called us to do. We're going to go under the water. We're going to go under the water knowing that, God, you're going to bring a complete and a whole victory in our lives in the name of Jesus. And, God, if we're frustrated, you're going to bring us through it. God, if we've got self-pity, God, give us deliverance from it in the name of Jesus. God, if we're, if we're wrestling, God, with just that there's some, some, some things that we think are ridiculous because we don't understand these things, but God, we're just going to trust in you today, God, in the name of Jesus. We're just waiting on you, aren't we, Sister Shelley? We're just waiting on God, Father God, for your healing grace and your love and your kindness and your mercy in our lives, God, in Jesus' name. Lord, we just thank you, God. For you're a transforming God. You transform us into the image of your Son. If we'll just be faithful, God, to obey your voice and do what you've called us to do. 
God, help us today, God, in the name of the Lord. God, we're just here today to just dip, aren't we? To dip in the, in the Jordan. God, to be unashamed. To say, God, I need your help. Father God, I'm just praying. I'm asking for your help today. God, we need you. Help us to be obedient to you, God. Help us to do what you've called us to do, even when it's difficult, even when it hurts. Come on, sometimes the water hurts. Sometimes it cuts. And sometimes it's painful. But we got to keep on doing what you've called us to do today, God. Lord, today in the name of Jesus. God, bring us to that place. Bring us to that place of complete abandonment, God, where we've lost ourselves in Jesus, where we've lost ourselves in you, God, where we're unashamed, God, when we know that if we're faithful and we'll stay right here, right where you've called us to be, God, then the healing's on its way, and we thank you for it today in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just come alongside to just lay hands on my church family, God, just to encourage them as we pray for one another. Lord, we're just believing God in this house. We need your help. We need your strength. God, we need, we've, we've got to have it, Father. We can't do this of ourselves, Father. It's going to take the supernatural strength of God. Father, we need you to work in us, God, with a resolve. The preacher said today in the steps of Naaman. Come on, who will say that with me? God, in the steps of Naaman. God, that's where I'm at, right here. And maybe the preacher didn't, maybe he didn't identify my biggest battle. Maybe one of the things that I mentioned didn't just directly address your situation. But while I was preaching, the Holy Spirit just brought that revelation to your heart and mind that this is where you're at, you're on this journey, and you got to be faithful to God. You keep obeying God. You keep doing what God's called you to do. Push past the frustration Push past the tendency to give up. Push past the greatest battle that I said to you was number six. And that was almost is good enough. Almost is not good enough. When God says seven, the old song said six will not do. And you've got to realize that today. You've got to follow God completely with all of your heart. The old song called it, I surrender all. All. I don't hold anything back. I'm coming to you, complete abandonment, complete surrender. I've got a promise in my heart, God, that if I completely abandon myself to you and to who you are and your will for my life, then a process of transformation will not only happen within me, but it will also happen around me. And I'll see a change worked in my life for the glory of God. Father, today the men and women that were courageous enough to come to the front, they were in the steps of Naaman. Who can, I feel that. They were in the steps of Naaman. Can you, as I close this off today, and I'm going to let you out of here because Sister Shelley's here now. She's going to be back with us at 5 tonight. You don't want to miss it. You want to be a part of that today in the name of the Lord. But I want you to see when Naaman, you know Naaman was in a chariot. I want you to picture this in prayer as we close. And you know he left the prophet's house. The servants have spoke to him. And he's made his decision. And he's driven the chariot. I don't know how far it was. But he drove the chariot to the Jordan River. And he's right there. And he steps out. He starts to take his armor off. He lays it in the chariot, and he's walking down, and he's right there on the edge of the water. And then he takes a courageous step, and he steps in. 
Did you know that's what you did today? When you got up out of your seat, you left the place where you are, and symbolically you moved to the place where God wanted you to be. And as you did so, you were either setting in motion for the first time, or you were continuing as you dipped under the swirling waters of the Jordan River. You're trusting God that he's working in your behalf. Naaman came up, and he rejoiced. <laughs> and he said, now I know there is no God but the God of Israel. God let the people. Come on, church family, let's close this off in praise. Let the people, God, realize and come to know there's no God like our God. There's no God but Jehovah, and we're his children, and his grace is sufficient. And what he begins, he'll finish. What he starts, he'll complete. And God, the good work that you began in each one of these, you're going to complete it. And you're going to bring them into a season of healing and of health and of restoration and of renewal until the old life of leprosy is washed away and a new life cleansed by the work of God is what remains. And I bless the people in this house today. Thank you for their courage that they exhibited by stepping in the Jordan River. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said amen and amen. Thank you.